Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, folks. I would like to introduce myself. My name is Payal and I am a traveler who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my melting pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this melting pot and enjoy the chats. Welcome to another weekly melting pot episode. Today I'm in conversation with the wonderful Shama Kavi Ratne. Shama is the co-founder of St. Jude India Child Care Centers, which is a non-profit and it provides free shelter and holistic care for children suffering from cancer and also for their parents. So thank you so much, Shama. I am really honored to be able to speak with you today because I also am aware that you're doing a lot of meaningful work and I'm sure just as I am keen, my listeners will also be very, very keen to hear all about it. So once again, thank you so much for being a part of Melting Pot. Thank you, Pal, for inviting me. This is a first for me, so please bear with me. (laughs) I'll start from the beginning which was exactly 15 years ago, we started St. Jude's. Nihal and I were out of India for almost 22 years. He worked for a multinational and we were posted all over. Though we kept visiting and going back, we had not stayed there for any length of time for 22 years. When we settled down there in 2005, one of the reasons was that my mother was aging and I wanted to be with her. And also it was where we went to college and school and we were members of clubs and we knew a lot of friends of ours. We both worked there. So it was easy to go back, but we found a lot of change and the change was very positive. People, the economy had opened up. People had satiated themselves with buying all the things that were forbidden before. They didn't have to go abroad. You could get it at your doorstep. And now they were ready to give back and share whatever they had with others, whether it was money or whether it was their skill. Now, that was a very pleasant surprise for us. So... We had always wanted to give back to and abiding interest was with children 
Mine was because when I grew up, my grandmother and aunt started a school for underprivileged children. And since I can remember age five onwards, I was playing with them and studying with them and making things with them. And so I'm very comfortable with being with people. But I'd go back and help. And the school is in, in, uh, was in, in Bombay. Okay. In our home. Oh, I see. Our garden. And started with two abandoned children, orphan children rather. And then it grew to 125 because we started off by saying orphans only. Then all the little children came to say, we've lost our mother and father. And we said, you know, we'll take you in any way. So they went to the municipal school in the afternoon and came to us in the morning for a couple of hours. And it was really not education to start with, but just giving them milk and just be letting them play in our garden and be with them and then it got a bit more structured and then my after my parents and my aunt and all passed away my cousin started running it and she was still doing that so I thought I'll join her and Nihal wanted to do something for children in education with either education or nutrition so when we read there our first few days were, you know, settling down and looking at reading through the newspaper. And one thing that kept recurring was on the third page, not page three, but the third page <laughs> of the Times of India. Right. Little advertisements or slots which said, this child is needy, needs so much for treatment of cancer, etc. So we sent, my husband sent money there initially. And the second month he said, I must go and see what this is all about. And he visited it. It was an NGO under S Bridge Baikala. And he said, you know, we asked, so who are the people who donate, donate to you? And we thought they'd be big donors. Apparently not. These kind of ads brought 200 rupees, 300 rupees from middle, lower class people who just wanted to give their little bit. And they collected a lot of funds that way for the treatment of cancer. And then we found out there were many NGOs and uh, trusts that gave money for the treatment. So we went to see the Tata Memorial Hospital and the person uh, took us around and uh, we were very impressed by what they were doing. And when we came out and were waiting for our car, we saw a lot of children and families staying on the footpath. And so one of us turned around and asked, you know, this is a common sight in Bombay if you don't live in Bombay. Especially at night, everyone comes out because they have a play open air and except the monsoons is much nicer than being so many in a room. And they said, no, these children are here, these families, because one family member is being treated in the hospital. And at night, they come and sleep here so they don't have to travel because they have no money and they don't live in Bombay. And so that was an idea that suddenly on our way home, we thought about it. As it happens, it was June. And that evening, it really poured very heavily in Bombay. And we were sitting comfortable in our home, having hot food, having dinner. And then we both looked at each other and thought of those families. And he said, why don't you just go and bring our family here? So I said, I don't think we can do it. I'm a bit more practical than my husband who uses his heart more than his head. <laughs> and uh, I said, this can't happen. I can't just go and uh, this thing. But that's when the seed really 
was sown. And we said that what these people need is something they don't have, is a place to stay while undergoing this treatment. So our first center was in PWD Chol. It is a building belonging to the Mothers and Children Trust, Bombay Mothers and Children Trust. It was started in 1930 by two doctors who wanted it to be a hospital for women and children. But I don't think uh, it was followed up. So this was just a place to stay for cancer people. Now, my when we moved back I uh, to Bombay, I had someone called Anna Saldana, an architect, very well known in her field, to help me refurbish the apartment we had bought. And she would meet me on a Wednesday because she said, I go to a place and an NGO, I have a small NGO. And I went with her one day, she invited me. And that's when I saw this place. And they had a room where there were eight families staying. And the adjoining area was empty with people just lying on the floor. Some had bandages, some had actually even tubes in them and, you know. And were they children or they were adults? Uh, mixed. Mixed. Yes. And uh, so I said, you know what? She said, no, there's no one staying there. It's empty. And she asked us to approach her father, who's Julio Ribeiro. Mr. Ribeiro is very well known. And he was a trustee. He's on the board of NGO. So when he met Nihal, he said, yes, we'll consider it. But one of the things is that you'll have to join the board. And that's how the space came to us. And uh, we had to give donation in lieu of rent. And I forget exactly, but I think the first transfers for five years could be renewed for another five. Now, we had no idea really what we were going to do. So my husband, all our friends, I must say, were politely discouraging us and saying, your NGOs, you don't know, you'll never get place, etc. But my husband's quite a determined person. And he said, look, let's try and find a way. So we invited our friends' children for the first meeting on the 8th of February, 15 years ago. They were all between 35 and 45. And very respectfully, they came to have a drink, not knowing why we had invited them. And uh, it was lovely seeing them. We knew their parents very well. They were sort of some of them third generation friends. Some of them, uh, a doctor, a GP had looked after us for over 30 years. His son came. Each one was had a different skill, which was love. one was an accountant, an architect, etc. And we were about 10 of us and we met in our living room and Nihal said, this is what we want to do. That is have a home, a place to stay for children suffering from cancer who have no place to stay. And it should be safe and clean. Because those were the two things that hit our eye the most. And we thought that was very essential for the treatment. And he also said, the first thing I want to tell you is that I do not want you to go out and get money. That is our problem. And we'll put in, he put in his first salary of last year. And he said, but I want you to make it happen. So, and he had already got eight jobs to be done from premises to accounts to admin. So, so each one picked what they liked. 
And then he said, you can form your groups. You can invite other people if you need any help. And we met once a month after that, always discussing what we could do. But then before we left, he said that I want it ready by the 1st of April. And they got it ready by the 31st of March. Wow. So, and what they keep saying is that we were given this responsibility. So it was no one was checking with us. There was no limit or no this thing. We didn't have to keep asking everyone. Whatever job we were, had chosen to do, we were supposed to do it. And we did it. And he, his motto is, think big, start small, and move fast. And so our first center opened 15 years ago. And we, for 18 months, we tried to get the model right. Because it was our first experience first to convince families to come to us because the hospital, which was Tata Memorial, had a social service center where they knew where to send the people because there are many other dharamshalas and all. But it's not free there. and They have to pay for even a bucket of water and it's not clean. And so when they started coming to us, we had a schedule which said that they got up in the morning, they had their breakfast, they got into transport we had arranged, went to hospital in time, came back, had lunch, rested, then activity time. So four to seven people would sit outside in our learning area, as we called it, then dinner and bed. Of course, we didn't have TV, we had many rules or that was the way of life for St. Jude's. And uh, no non-vegetarian because that place didn't allow uh, that. And everyone said, you know, you're doing the wrong thing. People will take advantage of you. It's all free. And they're never going to stay there. There's no TV, etc. And that time there were no mobiles. But you won't believe it. They're, in a few days, they recognized the benefits of staying with us. That they had transport. They had food. We started by giving them essentials, starter packs, as we call them, and milk. And then we never started giving them fresh vegetables because that was difficult to divide. So one of our things was equality. Everyone was treated equally. Whichever room was empty, the next person got it. So what was the capacity? How many rooms did you have? We started with eight units which is really small, but just right to get the model right. So we call them units, they're actually rooms, but we were told not to have a door because then they can claim tenancy. It's got a plastic curtain. Plus there is a doorway to the, but with a plastic curtain. And also we didn't use any wood because of cockroaches and bed bugs, which come from, you know, it's common in Bombay. So we had a steel bed, a steel cupboard, stone shelves, and the mattress and pillows were covered with Rexine. So they could be white with Dettol. And, you know, the child, if, you know, with treatment, how with chemo and all that. And the Two mattresses were given, one on the floor, because if the child was very young, it would sleep with the mother on the floor. And if the child was older, it would sleep on the bed with the mother or father. But they decided, and they were very happy with that. They didn't want two beds. 
and during the afternoon the child would play uh, sleep on the floor so if the mother went to the toilet or something there was no fear of falling so all this was done and everything we did had a reason for doing it and we gave them utensils the cupboard was theirs to put their valuables and the stone shelf arranged such that the medicines were on the top then they had one of games then they had their gods and the others were you know quickly what they needed water bottles etc so and they had a soft board where that was the only thing they could personalize they would put their own paintings at that time photographs and there was a learning area which was like a living room where everyone came out and sat between the hours that they were allowed to 2 to 4 they had to rest or be in there and the kitchen had uh, facilities for them to eat there so they cooked they ate and then they had this learning area and so you had volunteers who would come and make sure that the upkeep of the place was maintained because with cancer patients or any patients if they are undergoing treatment as you mentioned you know cleanliness is very very important so did they have to take care of their unit themselves or did you have volunteers who came in and helped with that that's one and two did you have the so how the hospital know which families to send to you i mean were, were there like who were the families were they families who could absolutely not afford uh, because you mentioned that the dharamshalas took money so maybe the families that could afford to pay a rental or whatever was involved uh, would be sent to dharamshalas and families that would absolutely not be able to pay anything and they'd come from really far were the ones who were directed to your center i mean how how did it work i'll explain it took us a couple of months to get the social security office understand what we were all about okay. so i or any one of my friends who were helping me in this would go and sit there and we had certain criteria one is that we decided we were not going to do the due diligence because we were not equipped to test whether the certificate they brought that they were was enough and it so if the hospital termed them as no charge means their treatment was free that was the first criteria secondly that they were being they had a treating doctor and that there was a chance of cure in childhood cancer quarterly there is a very high rate of cure we didn't want to go into palliative because those are also treated there but they are in pain you know managing pain and all so they had to have a doctor who was treating them was positive and had 70% chance of cure they needed to need to be ng so non paying in the hospital they also needed to only come with their mother and father but had to have their mother and father with them no other siblings no grandparents no aunts and all this we came to know after a few months because someone brought a child 
with the brother and the brother was well and wanted to do many things and the child was denied and there was too much conflict. So we came, this, we started with the no charge and a treating doctor. And then we decided the parents had to come because we had an experience where the elder sister stayed behind and she couldn't cope with the emotion of the child or feeding the child correctly. And it's essential to have both mother and father because as you know, in our hospitals, when the doctor sees you, he gives you a prescription and you have to run around to get it, stand in queues. And one person can't with a sick child, especially with cancer, if they just had some treatment to it. And they had to be from out of Bombay. So we took no one who lived in Bombay. You're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me, Payal, on this very unique and special podcast series, Melting Pot. If they had relatives, they would go there, then they wouldn't need to stay with us. Right, right. So these were the main things. Right. So based on that, we would say these are eligible And they started coming and then by word of mouth, people said, no, it's a clean place. It's a nice place. You get food. It's free. So we had a waiting list. Then what happened was Dr. Banamle, who was the main pediatric oncologist looking after these children, asked them, where do you come from? Because you come on time, you have your files, you never miss a treatment etc. And you'll look happy. And he came to visit our center. I happened to be there. And that was how he started ensuring that people came. Mm. Because he saw and he saw what we offered, like transport and food. You know, so that helped a lot. We didn't have to struggle. And it made a huge difference to them to have children who were not abandoning treatment. Because that was one of the main things they worried about. Because the child had to come over. No, I'm sure you know, but this kind of cancer is really, the treatment is for three or more years. And the first three, four months are crucial. And then they're given medication for three months to take home initially. And they have to come back every three months. And then in six months, depending on how they progress. A lot of them never came back because they had no place to stay. They couldn't afford it. So as per estimates shared by the Tata Memorial, our centers have helped in bringing down the treatment abandonment from over 30% to less than 5% now. Wow. So they had in a paper said that the difference that we are making and therefore they partner with us and are encouraging us. So then how did you, because from one center in Mumbai, today you stand at 38 centers all across the country. So how, I mean, that's phenomenal. And how did that come about? Okay, to answer your second question about helpers and volunteers, we have this group of people called team members or team leaders and these are the first eight people who met and we are all volunteers and then if they knew a friend who was like-minded and wanted to help so our team members expanded so for for example second circle is to ensure transport and 
water, electricity to make it happen. There would be one team leader and under them two team members or one, depending on how many we could. So they would ensure all this happened. Then we had one staff member. The first one was an elderly lady, experienced. She had worked with a doctor as a receptionist for many years. And we had one other girl under her and one for the activity. So we shared, one came from seven to four and the other from four to eight. Shared the responsibility. Shared the responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And they, they were, the girl that came in the morning's responsibility was to ensure everything was clean and they went to the hospital on time, they ate breakfast, etc., etc. The girl in the evening would show them some arts and crafts and we got some news. And the, uh, Miss, Mrs. Raute would supervise all this. And every day a statement would be sent to us. With, we had a template which would give the name of the parents, the treatment, and whether the water there was no shortage of water, electricity, etc. So that at a glance, we knew what was happening. Yeah. But for the first... In terms of uh, nutrition, how did you... Because I, a few months ago, I had a conversation with Purnota from Cuddles Foundation. Yes. And they try and, I mean, obviously you're aware, they try and ensure that nutrition, which is a very important part of treatment for for cancer for children is uh, taken care of. So at your center, how did you ensure that, was there some kind of back and forth? Did you collaborate, not collaborate, but did you work with Cuddles Foundation or the hospital or some nutritionist to figure out what kind of food and nutrition is important for the kids who are being treated, not necessarily the parents, but for the children who were there specifically for the treatment? Uh, did you try and bring that aspect in as well? Not initially. Okay. We gave them milk. We make sure they had fruit. Okay. But not, we wouldn't buy a lot, one per child, so it wouldn't get bad. And we gave them the starter pack. Then we started giving them rations, more rations, when we realized they couldn't buy it. Then when we started, yes, we got information from the doctors. Like someone suggested giving them vitamin pills and someone was willing to get them free. And the doctor said, no, it may not always work with the treatment and it will be difficult to decide what not. But they suggested a protein powder, which is made by an NGO whom they recommended. So we still get that for them. Oh, then we started with pulses. We started giving them moog and this, so they could substitute their food with protein in a paneer. We were told them not to give it them sweets. Uh, we used to give them rasgulla, you know, chocolate. All that was stopped even biscuits, Maggie noodles, all that was stopped. So it was really fresh, wholesome food. Therefore, each one has cabinet and a stove to themselves. So they cook morning and evening, fresh food. There's no, we don't give a fridge to them to store any food. We do have a fridge in the center, which has milk and their medicines. 
because when they get medicine, they have to keep it in a cold place. So we have little boxes. Each one puts their medicine in that. It's really meant for that. So it's really fresh. So let me explain what a center is. A center is ideally 12 units, 12 rooms, a learning area, enough for them to sit and their parents, two, a gents toilet and a ladies toilet. So two or three bathing areas, three, two or three toilets in each section. And now we've started for handicap. Okay. And we have something called the West, it's not the West, Anglo-Indian toilet, which because the doctor was on our team, it can be used by someone who can use it in different ways. And the first one of our first children had her leg amputated. So if it was an Indian style one, she wouldn't, we wouldn't have had to keep, you know, be able to have her. So these are the things we have uh, in our ideal center. I've described the unit. And for the children, we have, of course, now what we started with and what we are doing now has really, uh, we've come a long way. But we had games and arts and crafts. And, you know, the mothers did embroidery on sari. We'd buy one sari and a white one and they would embroider. And if they hadn't washed their hands, you could see that there were dark marks. So we taught them how to wash hands, the importance of all, through games you know this kind of thing and it's amazing they all those eight families there was a muslim i remember they were you know you can make out by the surnames they were from different castes and communities but they all had a common cause to look after their child and they got along famously and uh, no one said no we won't eat from the same place so say you know all that never we've never experienced that anywhere yeah, because the priority is... amazing how they help each other. Yeah, so let's move on then to, like I, I asked you, how did you then decide to expand to so many centers all across the, the country? The first one was Indian Cancer Society as a four-story building opposite, very close to the Tata Memorial Hospital. And... They had the top floor. They were doing some weaving, which was really not helping the... They look after cancer survivors, basically, and give them jobs to be done, like making bags or printing or something. But they found this was just waste of space. So when they saw that we needed this, they gave us two rooms. So our second and third center was started there. Okay. At 30 families two centers, common dining room, and that was how it started. Then our fourth center was thanks to Tata Memorial Hospital, who saw the difference we were making, because by now we had 38 children. So they gave us a place in their other hospital, which is a research hospital in uh, New Bombay, Khargar. They gave us an old whole building where we built three centers and one for bone marrow transplant because they carry on carry out all bone marrow transplants there. So we had four rooms designed according to them. They were slightly different from what we offer because they had to be individual rooms, parents and also they couldn't make. And so they could do four transplants at a time as compared to one which they could do before. So right. that was it. 
And then we moved to Calcutta. That also thanks to Tata Memorial because they opened a hospital there called the Tata Memorial Center, a Tata Center it's called. And they were building. So when they went there, they said, the building is coming up. We'll give you two floors. But we didn't want to wait for the, the Prema Shai, the building to come up. So we took two flats and tried to, without making much change, accommodate them in the same way. And as soon as they gave it, we moved to Premashray and gave up this. And then other hospitals got to know. So the ones we have in Varanasi, in Velour, in Gauhati is thanks to Tata Memorial because they gave us place there or they were going there. So they told us to go. Delhi, we thought was important to have something there. And Ames does the most fantastic work, Ames Hospital. So all our children go there. We have almost 41 children there, four centers. Then we went to Jaipur, which is a lovely story. I won't go get into it, but we were given this huge land by a family who lost their daughter to cancer. And so when they came and saw what we were doing, they offered it. They built it to our specifications and we have 41 children there. But they go to separate hospitals. They're not can they're cancer hospitals, but not purely for children. Okay. They have fewer people and they come from the surrounding area, but now it's full. Now, you see, after a time, the returnees come back for their treatment. So we really need to grow. Yeah. Hyderabad, there was a very nice lady who suffered from cancer, was a survivor, and she was keen on opening. So we went where we either had the hospital or the doctors or a team member or someone who was willing to fund us. So that's how and we at all these centers you have obviously then you have you probably needed to do a lot of a lot of scouting around a lot of creating awareness so that you could get volunteers to come and money as well as volunteers to come and support you in those respected right. centers right that's right so our policy the way we started was show and not ask okay Right. So we would bring people to the centers, tell them what we are doing. And if they wanted to give whichever way, whether it was money or help or what, they would give it. And we broke it down that a center, a 12 unit center costs X. Running it costs X amount. And individual units, say, cost 50,000 a year. So if you gave 50,000, you got a little frame outside and you could dedicate it to anyone. People, most people, I would say, out of all these, have, don't stop because 50,000 a year is nothing. Hmm. And we send reports. I think one of the strengths we have is we send a detailed report of every child who stayed there. So they know so what There's happened. a lot of transparency, which is, is important Absolutely. and it... And it builds on, I guess it builds on uh, trust and confidence. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yes. Okay, so I wanted to ask about, obviously, the pandemic. And because of the hospitals being overwhelmed with, uh, with patients who, you know, were had the virus and they were trying to get treatment, there have been reports that I've been reading about how a lot of the specifically the cancer patients were 
not able to get continued treatment because of the fact that the hospitals were basically overwhelmed. So is that something that you saw as well? Did you find fewer patients coming back or fewer families with their children coming back? How, how do you see the impact? You're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me, Payo, on this very unique and special podcast series, Melting Pot. So to start with, when the lockdown came in Bombay, I'll start with Bombay because that's our biggest area. Area and the most. Yeah. yeah. We wanted to cut down. We didn't want to take in, you know, we were afraid for the families who were already there. What would happen to them? But the doctor said, cancer doesn't stop. And so shouldn't you. And so they don't. So they, Tata Memorial, we have a, we have a campus where we house 160 children and families in three buildings. They're all, we've got 14 centers there. So we call them. We decided to send a doctor to us. They would come in the morning and treat the children. It's only those who wanted to, had to go for either radiation or chemo would be sent to the hospital. So they would come and give all the injections, take the blood report, all that they would do. So the parents didn't have to go. So, and we had it very strict. They would go down in few numbers, change their clothes, bathe. You know, we had a system. So in this sort of controlled, unnecessary exposure. Exactly. The first center, which was only eight. So anyone who had a problem or tested for COVID was sent there, isolated. Also new patients, which the Tata Memorial said they're desperate, you have to take them. We would keep them there, have their tests done to make sure they didn't have before we brought them to our center. Then three months down the line, when we, when the railway started, Tata Memorial had special passes for children and families who were being treated in all the hospital, adults, children. So they would give us a letter and all the parents who had finished their treatment would get a place to sit because it's a long journey home. And those who lived in Maharashtra, we hired private cars and made sure that each one was a staff member and rations and things for the next few days because some of the villages didn't let them come in. They had tents outside. So they would be dropped there and then they would, they had enough to survive for a couple of days because they can't carry more. Yeah. yeah. So we did that. The other thing we did was we had to send medicine, the three monthly medicine because they couldn't come for. So the doctors guided us and they gave us the medicine and thanks to Blue Dart, and Parley, whose distribution is fantastic, they delivered, volunteered to deliver it to the patients throughout India. And the same happened everywhere else. So when they stopped, they didn't, no one took in new patients. Yeah, they continued with the existing patients to ensure that the continued treatment was... So we didn't stop once. Yeah. We... 
now are one third only because we have to keep distancing yeah centers. yeah but if there's an emergency then the doctor said this person needs to be treated you have to and we then try and put them in a guest house yeah the new people returnees who come back we don't take them in immediately mm. they're tested kept in the guest house some of them come for a day or two then they go back directly we don't want them to mix right even right. for our staff we don't allow them public transport those who we've hired cars which pick up certain people and they've been working from home so we have not stopped in yeah i think that's harder than ever yeah and i think that is such a it's so heartening to hear that because it's so important to for your focus not to be yes it is you know it's devastating as to what is happening in the current scenario but you're still continuing with your good work and you're still trying through your centers and through all these different ways to protect the patients the the parents who are at this point in time you know so much in need of that that support and i think that is absolutely incredible and i'm really really i can't say i'm humbled to hear how you've managed to continue to put all of this together that's quite amazing shama seriously <laughs> i'd like to add here is that yeah. without the support of the doctors doctors absolutely yeah. without them we would have had to stop yeah yeah they guided us they helped us they i, I can't even begin to tell you how much they did for us i mean tata memorial hospital looking after all our patients and other hospitals very supportive guiding us in at every step every day their lives were open and they are the ones who told us what to do yeah absolutely they told us, don't stop that you didn't give yes. up yes yeah. don't give up and then they were with us throughout yeah. yeah so full marks to them all credit should i think them. it yeah i think obviously it it has to work hand in hand they've been amazing that's all i can say dedicated fearless and i have no words to and these are doctors who are not shall i say they are working in general hospital and yeah. that tells it all but they their dedication is just yeah no amazing amazing i you know i'm so happy that you know we were able to have this conversation and thank you so much shama for sharing all the good work that uh, and where you started from and where you are today is absolutely credible phenomenal and i wish you all the very best and i hope saint jude centers go from strength to strength and you're able to accommodate more and more patients and families and i think your support is so important because it enables them to you know like like you mentioned a lot of families halfway through just give up because you know a lot of people come from villages or from really far off places and india is so huge that if they did not have a hand to hold them through the journey that's Correct. all we do that's all yeah. and a place to stay and provide yeah. them with whatever is is necessary 
and the children are able to survive, you know, and go back into the world. I think that is absolutely phenomenal. I need to add something here. We have started, because you say go out into the world, we thought hard about it. And in the 15th year, we have launched something called St. Jude's for Life, which is we've looked after them and got them where they are now. But they to address the longer term challenges that childhood cancer survivors face during their lifetime. Through partnerships, the St. Jude's for Life initiative will seek to support the survivors in the spheres of education, skilling, counseling, insurance, medical needs and employment. St. Jude for Life aims to fulfill the aspirations of these children and help them realize their potential by providing them support. Wow. So that is our next next goal. I was going to ask you, but and thank you for, for sharing that. And I'm sure all my listeners all over the world will definitely, you know, I mean, one, of course, it's been appreciated what you're doing, but two is they probably also step up and give you a helping hand. I mean, there's no guarantees, but I'm sure there's your voice is being heard. That I can say for sure. So people need all the help. Yeah, that's yeah. all we're doing. As I said, we're just holding. You're just providing. Yeah, you're providing that. You're, you're providing them that platform, and and you know there are a lot of people out there in the entire world who are always willing to give that helping hand. So I do hope that some of the listeners and now the viewers as well, because this is also being a, it's a video recording as well. So I'm hoping that, you know, people will, will come out and, and try and help and support in whatever way they can. So thank you so much once again, Sharma. And it's just been wonderful talking to you. Thank you, Pal, for requesting me to be here and I'm glad I had the guts to do it. <laughs> and you've done that. Yes. Oh, you've been so wonderful. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. For more weekly conversations, do listen to Melting Pot on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Follow us on YouTube and on Instagram at Podcast Melting Pot. So until the next episode, this is Pyle signing off. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.